a lifetime kind of being wired to anticipate that that next book I read, that next experience I have, that next thing I do will be that thing that connects me to God. The next thing, whatever the next thing is, uh, that next class I take, the next book on my shelf, I have given away and recycled more books from my shelf than the average person ever owns in their lifetime. Uh, because those were the books that were going to open the door, that were going to open the window to know this God beyond all knowing. So enter the picture today in, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, where Paul's writing a letter to the people of Corinth. And let me just say just a word about Corinth, because Corinth was a city of uh, some... Uh, artistry that was known for the arts. It was known for its, um, for its school of rhetoric and the ability to argue uh, well, a point. It was known for all of that kind of, uh, kind of knowledge and wisdom uh, accumulated through years. And, and then Paul comes and he planted a church in Corinth and now he's writing back to the Corinthians uh, in this uh, first letter. And this is what he says in chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians. When I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come proclaiming the mystery of God to you in lofty words or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I came to you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. My speech and my proclamation were not with plausible words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might rest not on human wisdom, but on the power of God. Now we could read on, and Paul goes on to talk about it. In fact, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that in verses 6 through 16, where he, where, if we were to continue... He's making fun of himself for being a great rhetorician uh, because Paul is known, at least in some of the places he goes, as with this ability to argue from a point and make it clear. And yet he says here to these Corinthians, the people of great art and wisdom, I didn't come to you with all the great arguments. I didn't come to you with a way of convincing your mind I came to you and I knew nothing. The only thing that I knew was Jesus Christ. And what's to make it worse? He was crucified. Him crucified. He was disgraced, executed in public. And that's the one I came to bring you. So let's get down to talking about how we can know this God. I guess the, the better question might really be for all of us, how can we not know this God? In what way is God not mediated to us? In every breath we take, you know, God is closer to us than our very breath. But most of the time we're not paying attention. We miss it. So what is the way you know God? You come to faith. You personally, think about it for just a moment. Was it a class you took? If you're like me, 
it happened gradually over a lifetime. I can't, you know, a lot of people can point to the day and exactly the moment when they said the Jesus prayer and invited Jesus in, and this is when it all began, this is when my walk of faith began. I was raised in the church. I came to faith over a long period of time where I am convinced God wore me down. You know, uh, over time, like a wonderful, slow, meandering river, I was like that really jagged rock at the bottom of the riverbed, slowly worn down over time and finally giving in to the Spirit's movement within me. But I, you know, from the time before I was born, Mom went to church every Sunday. So I was in church before I was born. I was made an honorary member of the Women's Society before I was born. Because that was an honor. All that that really meant was that the Women's Society made a donation to missions in my name. You know, because mom was like president of the Women's Society. So uh, later on became United Methodist Women. But so after I was born, we, we went to church every Sunday. I don't remember it because I was like a little, little tiny dude. Like, well, not really, because I ate a lot when I was little. I, I have pictures of me. I was like, oh, it was, it was uh, you know, it was like one big round. I, I look kind of like a basketball only with snow white skin kind of thing. That was kind of my look. But in any case, um, I was always in church. And then I went to, you know, I, I went to the nursery. And then once I could, I went to kindergarten and first grade and second grade and third, all of the Sunday school classes. And I was learning everything I could learn, every story in the Bible. And, and the challenge is that as a child, if you learn all those stories, then you have to relearn them as an adult. Because, you know, they kind of water down the stories a little bit when you're a kid. They, they, they don't want to tell you, you know, think about it. Think about the story of Noah's Ark. It's really cool to think about the animals that got onto the ark and the people that made it onto the ark. It's not so exciting when you think about, wait, there was all sorts of people that didn't and all sorts of animals that didn't, and floating bloated bodies just doesn't sound very exciting. You don't teach second graders that. That's just not a story that they ought to hear. So over time, God kind of wore me down. But still, because of the way Sunday school was taught, I thought that the way to know God was with this little thing between my ears. And sometimes I'm convinced it's a really little thing. You know, but between my ears, that I was meant to know God because the only thing that I know about knowing was intellectual knowing, knowing with the mind. And so I learned as much as I could. I was convinced if I knew enough, I would know all there is to know about God. Okay, admittedly, you know, I was a child. You know, every once in a while now I'm convinced I know what I need to know about God. And then, then I have a little blow up in my brain and I realize I didn't know half of what I thought I knew to begin with. But there's got to be more of a knowing than just the ability to argue with someone and convince them of the truth. For some of you who might be old enough to remember, I remember when I went off to college and I met folks who liked to convince people to become Christians with the four spiritual laws. If you don't know what the four spiritual laws is, I'm not telling you. Look it up in your own time. I don't, you know, I don't really need to go there. But there are four spiritual laws that talk about how broken you are and how you get to God. Jesus. Period. 
Only it's, you know, it's a wonderful argument that draws people intellectually and rationally into a relationship with the irrational and uncontrollable infinite mystery that is around us all the time. And if you think you can do it with your mind, by all means, but every mystic and every theologian worth their snuff for the last 2,000 years has said, knowledge will take you only so far. The rest is love. The rest is love. You can only know God by loving God. And the funny thing is, love is God. So by loving God, you are Godding God or loving love. I mean, if you think about it, they're equivalent. God is love. Love is God. So you, can God really love? Because God is love. So what, wait, no, let's not go there. Let's not go there. Okay, that's, uh, that already spun me out of mental control for just a second. Paul's statement in that second verse in 1 Corinthians 2, for I decided to know nothing, to know nothing among you but Jesus Christ and him crucified. I decided to know nothing. Sometimes you and I need to be challenged by other ways of knowing. A Wesleyan scholar who looked back on John Wesley, if you don't know who John Wesley is, it's perfectly all right. Um, but he was sort of the founder of Methodism, though he never wanted to be the founder of anything of another denomination. Wasn't interested in doing that at all. Not his, not his gig. Any more than Martin Luther wanted to create the Lutherans. He didn't want the Protestants to run away from the Catholic Church. He wanted the Catholic Church to take seriously the theses he nailed on the door at the cathedral. He wanted them to change. And instead, for political reasons really, the church broke away. Wesley wanted the Anglican Church in England to take faith seriously. In England, you're born a member of the Anglican Church. You're just born into it. You don't make any decision. You're born. That's, you, you are a member. You know, your taxes go to support the church. That happens. That's the way that it works. And he said, you know, there's got to be more to faith than just, than just being born into it. There must be more. So he talked about practice, about really encountering God. And then he ultimately, as people look back on him, Albert Outler, a Wesleyan scholar, said of him that he said there are four ways of coming to faith. Scripture, tradition, reason, and experience. That all of those things together are ways of knowing God. That they are gateways, if you will, to the knowledge of what it all is. Now, John Wesley never really spelled that out. But Albert Outler, in his wisdom, said those are the four. And we call that, just so you know, little cocktail conversation next, you know, do you know what the Wesleyan quadri quadrilateral is? That's what it's called, the Wesleyan quadrilateral. Okay, maybe you don't need any small talk at... Uh, I've got a lot of them. I can just throw out all sorts of pointless knowledge because I was so busy acquiring it most of my life thinking that that would be the doorway to God. But you see, it's got to be bigger. It's got to be bigger. And it's got to be smaller. Now think about it for just a moment. Paul had all these ways he could argue, all this rhetoric 
when he came to the Corinthians and he said, but I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. One thing, I chose to know one thing. And the thing about knowing the one thing is, sometimes the one thing is the gateway to the universe. That we can know the infinite God through the finite, through the individual. Now, none of you are Jesus. Let's just, you know, maybe your name is Jesus. I don't know. I, you know, I've met several Jesuses in my life. Uh, you know, uh, Joshua's name, my son, is actually the Hebrew name that Jesus would have had, Yeshua, which means salvation, God saves. So I guess I know sort of Jesus is the Greek form, so I know a Joshua, which is what Jesus' mom would have called him. Um, but the truth of all of this comes back down to it's in the specific that we come to see the infinite. Think about trying to wrap your mind. Have you ever laid in a, uh, in a field at night and looked at the universe and tried to imagine infinity? that it just goes on and on, that you can't see all the stars, that there are too many stars to be seen, and that, by the way, since you're laying where it, wherever the rotation of the earth is pointing, you can't see the whole set of stars that are beyond the horizon behind you on the other side of the planet. Have you ever tried to wrap your mind around infinity? You can't. It breaks. It breaks inside of you. But if you, had to try, if you ever tried to know just one thing, just one thing, and discovered that, that knowing that one thing was the gateway to knowing everything. God decided, God is wacky, that the one way to know the infinite was through the finite person of Jesus. One dude, 2,000 years ago, walking around in the backwoods country that nobody had ever heard of at that time except the Romans, and usually it was said in an unhappy way because... They were the province that were problematic. You know, down there, down there in that Judea region, they just don't get that we've got to have an image of Caesar everywhere. Don't put one in the temple. You will tick some people off. The bottom line was God chose the finite, the individual, one moment in time. This is the God of the universe that's been around for longer. I don't know how long. Because time is, is a construct. 14.6 billion years it's been unfolding. Give or take. And nobody really knows for sure exactly how long. But a long time. God's been God for all that time. God's been infinite for all that time. God's been revealing God's self in unfolding ways all the time. Different stars, different galaxies. Stars get, you know, are born. They blow up. They die. They become black holes and they suck everything in around them. I mean, it's an infinite universe. And any one of those things points you to God. Any one. And yet God chose the truly finite. And between 30 and 33 years of a human being's life who said the ultimate yes to God and who was God's ultimate yes to us. And Paul didn't want to just say this finite being, this human is the gateway to knowing who God is. 
but also his death. His crucifixion says something about who God is. Love gives life away. Love isn't love. Yeah, okay. Michael W. Smith. The song, love isn't love until you give it away. Yeah, that dates me. Megan and James weren't even born when Michael W. Smith sang that song. <laughs> love isn't love until you give it away. It isn't. You can't have love. It's only love when you're acting on it. And Jesus was God's action in time to show us what it looks like to love. God's action in time. I didn't come with great arguments. You know, sometimes I get up here and I really want to give you a good argument why you should believe everything I say. Which, if you've known me long enough, you all are so much smarter than to believe everything I say because who knows, by next week I might have changed my mind. Or even bigger than that, God might have changed my mind. Usually as soon as I'm sure I'm right, I'm not. But I think I'm right about this. I need to decide to come here every Sunday morning knowing only one thing. Like Paul, among you. And that is Jesus Christ and him crucified. The one, the finite, that is the gateway into the infinite in whom I might see what God looks like. Think about it for a minute. A lot of people spend a lot of time trying to say that Jesus is God and that Jesus is like God. But what if, on the other way around, God is like Jesus? Stops and makes time for you. Did you ever see Jesus not stop and actually be present with a person on the side of the road? God already knows you, but God wants to know you more because God wants you to know God back. And you know God through the finite because that's the only way you can wrap your mind around it. You can't wrap your mind around infinity about the infinite God. But maybe for a moment you can hold a child in your arms. At LCAC where Linda works and Joshua works, both of them work. One of the young women who works there brings, ever since he was born, Emmanuel. It's his name, Emmanuel James. It's another James I know. Emmanuel James, every day. And I can still remember when he was a tiny guy who couldn't get around or get into any trouble. And I would come down there on Friday to volunteer and periodically, it would be my great joy to just be able to pick him up out of his little space. He just turned two recently. Not so much picking him up for me anymore because I'm a stranger now. But uh, in those days, I could just pick him up and walk around. And there's just something about that contact that is a gateway to God. I'm not saying Emmanuel is God, although it means God with us. <laughs> his name means God with us. But when I hold him, God with us, 
when Josh gives me a bear hug, God with us. When Linda holds my hand when we go on a walk. When Reedy comes to sit, that's our dog, comes to sit next to me <laughs> while I'm sitting in my spiritual chair trying to journal. Or if I'm not trying to journal, because I've held my journal, I guess, she likes to lick my journal, which is the worst possible thing for the ink, and it makes it hard to write in there, but that's a side issue. In some way, in Reedy, I can see God's endless love. Because even if I send Reedy back to her bed, three seconds later, she's coming back over. <laughs> even if I have to yell at her because she's gotten into something, she's completely forgotten that I yelled at her and comes right back over. Maybe, maybe that was just a few seconds ago. Maybe that's not my memory. Maybe he really likes me. You know, uh, that kind of love that never gives up. Isn't that like God? Isn't Reedy in some ways like God? You know, we talked about it when we did the universal Christ. Isn't this rock? This is not a piece of bread, by the way. It's a rock. Isn't this rock in some way? We talk, the scripture talks about God is our rock. Does that mean he's inert? <laughs> that if we drop him, it might break our toe? <laughs> or is God firm and solid? Someone to whom we can point as a marker. In that way, God is like a rock. But there's nothing you can point to that is absolutely like God, except with the possibility for us as Jesus. Jesus reveals the infinite and the finite. What do you know? This is your assignment this week. What do you know? How do you know God? Is it books? Is it those amazing, moving sermons you hear every Sunday morning that lift you to the clouds? I don't know which sermons you're talking about. I, I do listen to somebody else before I come to church. Maybe that's who you're talking about. Is it the music? Is it the Bible? Or is there any one way that you know? But ask yourself this week. How do I know what I know? How can I know God? And am I willing to discover new ways to know this same God? Paul, who knew all sorts of things, came to the Corinthians and said, for I chose to know nothing among you. Nothing among you except for Jesus Christ and him crucified.